22. Joshua 22, we'll be reading the whole chapter. This is God's holy word, brothers and sisters. Then Joshua called the Rumadites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua spoke, uh, sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the land of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad and to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this? that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. 
But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity? Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered, and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we've built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. But in fact... We've done it for fear, for a reason, saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You, children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make, uh, make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here's the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God which is before His tabernacle. Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar a witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing on it. O Lord our God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word. This we ask for our Savior's sake. Amen. Here in Joshua chapter 22, we enter the final major section of the book of Joshua. 
Uh, chapters 1 through 11 tell us all about how, to, how, how the people conquer the land. And then chapters 12 to 21, which we uh, took last Lord's Day evening in, in one, uh, one sermon, those chapters talk about dividing up the inheritance, so inheriting the land. And then chapters 22 to 24 are about keeping the land, about retaining the land. Now that the people conquered their enemies, inherited the land, how do they keep the land? How do they stay in it? The answer that these three chapters, 22, 23, and 24, give us is that they'll retain this land by keeping faithful covenant with the Lord. They're all about Israel responding to God's faithfulness to them with their faithfulness to him. God's made a gracious covenant with them. He's he's proved faithful to them, and now they need to respond with faithfulness to that covenant. It's interesting. We see, we see as, as chapter 21 ends, which we looked at last Lord's Day, uh, it ends with, uh, uh, with words that talk about how God has done everything He promised He would do. Look, look at, uh, listen, if you will, t- chapter 21, verses 43 to 45, the verses just before chapter 22. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He'd sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it, The Lord gave them rest all around according to all he'd sworn to their fathers. Not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's the summary at the end of chapter 21 of everything that's happened from 1 through 21. How how gracious and faithful and good God has been to his people. And now, Joshua is saying, in the light of all that gracious faithfulness of God, here's how Israel needs to respond in faithfulness to him. This is gospel logic, right? This is what we see, you know, in in the book of Romans, for example, chapters 1 through 11. Here's what God in his grace has, has done for you. Then chapter 12, therefore, in view of these mercies, offer yourselves living sacrifices and then The following chapters in Romans lay out our response to God's grace. Or we see this in Ephesians, right? Chapters 1 through 3. Everything God in His grace has done for us. Then chapters 4 through 6. How we are to respond to Him. That's how the the gospel works, right? God is so gracious to us. And then it's only in response to that that we are uh, able to be obedient and faithful to Him. And that's what's happening. This is sort of the, the picture book version of that gospel logic. It's that, that, uh, that truth illustrated for us. So here in chapter 22, we see covenant faithfulness, the people responding to God in covenant faithfulness. And we, we see it painted for us in vivid colors as the narrative unfolds. We get a vivid story here about how committed to the Lord this generation of Israelites was. So what we see here is covenant faithfulness illustrated. The chapter begins in verses 1 through 9 with a description of how God rewarded the covenant faithfulness of three tribes in particular, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So let's look at our first point, verses 1 through 9, covenant faithfulness rewarded. What's going on with these two and a half tribes? Well, back in Numbers 32, 
when the Israelites are still on the eastern side of the Jordan and they defeat the, the uh, Amorites there, these two and a half tribes request that they receive that land on that side of the Jordan as their inheritance. And God says to Moses, yes, you can grant this request, provided these two and a half tribes go with their brothers across the Jordan and uh, fight with them until the conquest is all done and every tribe's received its inheritance. Then they can go back to their inheritance on the far side of the Jordan. You can imagine the concern that people might have had about this. You can, you can see why God wanted to put that provision in there for them. These tribes, you know, they're on the far side of the Jordan. They already had their inheritance. They didn't have to cross the Jordan, go marching and fighting all across Canaan, living, uh, you know, the hardships of army life, uh, endangering their lives with nothing personally to gain by it. Why should they do all these things? Well, it's, it's because God's made a covenant with them. And God's covenant with, with them requires commitment to each other as well. They are one body, one covenant people before God. Obligation to God means for them obligation to their brothers. See, no Israelite could ever say, my relationship with God is really just about me and my God. I don't need God's people to have a relationship with God. No Israelite would ever have thought that. No, to be in covenant with the Lord, with Yahweh, meant you were also in covenant with the people of Yahweh. And so the tribes demonstrate their faithfulness to God in their faithfulness to their brothers. Joshua commends them here for this in verses 2 through 3. And he connects these two ideas, faithfulness to God showing itself and faithfulness to each other. Joshua said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You've obeyed my voice and all that I've commanded you. You've not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. How do they keep God's command? Through their faithfulness to their brothers. Now, this is quite a word to us, isn't it, in our hyper-individualistic culture. It's a reminder to us, if we're going to be faithful to the Lord... We have to be faithful in our covenant commitments to each other. We need to, we need to be committed to do what God's called us to do for one another. We need to fight alongside each other, not against each other. We saw this earlier in, in Hebrews chapter 10, right, bringing together these two ideas of faithfulness to God as we support each other. Listen to Hebrews 10, 23 to 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So faithfulness to God, holding fast the confession of our hope. And then the author to the Hebrews goes on, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the, ha- uh, the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Faithfulness to God means also faithfulness to each other. So Joshua, Joshua sees this on display in these tribes. They've done an admirable job. They've stuck with it every step of the way. They've been at the forefront of every battle, and he commands them. He also gives them a, a word of warning here. We see this in verse 5. They're, they're going away from the rest of Israel. They're going across the Jordan. He's saying, you've been faithful. You've done well. Keep it up. Don't slacken off now. 
keep on trusting, loving, obeying the Lord. Uh, keep on keep on following His Word. He doesn't want them to lose their identity and drift away. But but the, this word of, of warning here, this little mini sermon He gives them, is spoken in this context that's rich with encouragement. It seems it seems like Joshua has every confidence that they will do what they uh, what they've. Uh, they, they will continue to do what they've done. They'll continue to be faithful to God's covenant. And he blesses them, the text tells us. And this is what's, so, what's most dominant in this first section of the, the story here in chapter 22. Joshua is pleased. God is pleased with his people for their faithfulness to him and to each other. And so they're, they're sent to go back to their tents, to go into their own possession, enjoy the reward God's given them for their faithfulness. We're told twice that they're blessed, verse 6, and again verse 8. And then verse 8 says they, they return lavished with good things, with the spoils of, of war, with gold, silver, bronze, clothing, livestock. Every, every imaginable blessing. They've been faithful. And now the Lord is, is rewarding them for this. Well, now, so far in the story, everything seems to be just rosy, doesn't it? Everything's going well. Uh, God's people are being faithful. God is blessing them. It's just, uh, it's the happy ending we want at the end of the book of Joshua. But then comes verse 10, and it, it brings a question and a problem, and it leads to the main drama, the conflict that sparks the drama of this narrative. So let's look there now. Starting in verse 10, we'll look through verse 20, at covenant faithfulness guarded. As we start in verse 10, it doesn't look problematic at first, at least uh, I think not to most of us. It even looks like a positive thing. Uh, verse 10 says, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan. A great, impressive altar. I think our first reaction is to say, great. They, they built an altar to the Lord. They're being faithful, right? They're continuing to be faithful. This means they're going to worship the Lord. But the text doesn't actually tell us off the bat if, if this is an altar for the Lord or for some other God. It doesn't clue us in. The only thing the text tells us is that it's a very big altar. It's an impressive altar in size. That's all it says. And if we, if we knew our, our Old Testament well and the law of Moses well, we would immediately smell something fishy going on here. Right, listen, listen to Numbers 17, 8 and 9. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. So what they're doing here seems to be directly in contradiction with that. And there's another text, Deuteronomy 12, 13 to 14. Take care that you do not offer burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings. And there you shall do all that I am commanding you. So if we didn't know the end of the chapter here, we'd, we'd be reading this account Israel. Here go, here go these two and a half tribes. They go and they, they build this altar and we'd say, here they go again. Israel's unfaithful again, right? Just as this pattern we've seen all you know, through their whole history, here they go. One minute they're being blessed by God and then the very next minute there they are disobeying Him. Directly going against His will. 
That's exactly how the other tribes of Israel read this situation. They get wind of this, and immediately the whole nation seems to be in an, in an uproar about this. The whole nation gathers to make war against these tribes. This isn't just some small detail for them, some obscure verse in the law. No, this is, this is, this is essential. This is vital. This is part of being faithful to the Lord. It's not just one or two you know, extremists among the Israelites. It's the whole nation that gathers to make war. They're not going to tolerate the slightest deviation from God's covenant. Now, some, some uh, commentators read this text and they think the point is the danger of miscommunication and making assumptions. And of course, those things are important, but I don't think that that is the point of the text. The point isn't to show us how... Uh, the, the point, excuse me, the point is to show us just how seriously these... Israelites in this generation are taking God's covenant. They are not going to mess around with breaking God's covenant. They have this fervent zeal, right, ready to take action for, for, for keeping God's law and keeping this land that God has given them. They have this iron-strong commitment to God and His Word and, and His covenant with them. But they're not just going to rush in there recklessly. Right? So they, they know God's law, uh, uh, but they're not being rash or hasty here. They send messengers ahead of them. They send Phinehas, the high priest. He's uh, Aaron's grandson. Um, and they send with him together uh, ten leaders, one for each of the ten tribes that's on the west side of the Jordan. It's interesting. Joshua is not, apparently, not sent here. He's not named. There seems to be a passing of the mantle. Joshua's task was to bring the people into the land. He's done it. And so now it seems like the high priest is, is taking the lead in this matter. So anyway, these, these 11 men, they cross the Jordan, they come to the tribes on the eastern side, and they charge them with high treason in verses 16 through 20. They use, they use strong language. They say, you're committing treason against the Lord. You're betraying the Lord. We should see their concern, brothers and sisters. See how seriously they take faithfulness to the Lord. It's everything to them. And, and we might look at this and say, well, what's the big deal? It's just, you know, it's just a pile of stones. It's just an altar. But the other tribes here, they, they know that how you worship the Lord, worshiping Him as He's told you to worship Him, is of utmost importance. To worship Him any other way, to, to dilute or pollute the worship of God is to be faithless to him. As they, uh, as they charge their brothers with this treason against God, they cite an example from Israel's past. They, they go first to uh, Peor in uh, verse 17, Peor. This refers back to what happened in Numbers 25, where Israel worshipped the false god of the Midianites. Baal Peor at this place called Peor. And there God judges them with a plague. So the, the, this generation is citing this, you know, this sin from, from their, their past and saying, you're doing exactly, you know, you're making the same mistake that, that, that our people made before and the result will be exactly the same. We're falling into idolatry again and God's judgment's going to fall on us. Uh, they, they also cite the, the sin of Achan, right? And just a few verses here, verse, verse 20. They cite Achan, right? He, he sins. He takes the things devoted to, to God and devoted to destruction in Jericho. He takes those things for himself. And uh, they say, 
Achan did not perish alone. And if, and if you fall into sin, we all fall under God's judgment. The issue, uh, the issue here for them is that they are breaking God's covenant and, and they feel it personally for themselves. And what we see here, loved ones, is this, this example of their zeal and commitment, their vigilance, to guard God's covenant. And it's not just on an individual level. They're not, just, they're not just being vigilant in their own hearts and lives to keep God's covenant. No, this is on a, on a corporate level. As a, as, a, as, a, as a body, right? They're, they're, they're vigilant to keep God's covenant. They're looking out for each other's faithfulness as well. And again, we're, we're such an individualistic culture. I think we're, we're often tempted to answer Cain's rhetorical question with yes, am I, uh, with no, am I my brother's keeper? No, no. But the biblical truth is that we are. It's a lot easier to say, I'll worry about myself and, and, and my walk with the Lord, but I'm not going to bother with your walk with the Lord. But the lesson here, brothers and sisters, is that we need this. God's people, if they're going to be faithful, need to guard not only ourselves, but also the whole body. What would this look like? What what, what would this look like, right, in our context? Well, it it should happen informally in, in the friendships that we have, the relationships that we have with each other. We should be encouraging each other and challenging each other as it seems as it seems wise to do so. My wife's grandfather had this wonderful phrase. He used to, he used to say, we need someone who's willing to hunt our property. Someone, a, a friend or two, who's, who's willing to come over onto my ground, my property, you know, uh, my, 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 my person, and, and point out the things that he sees that are, that are off, that are out of accord with God's law. We need someone who's willing to do that for us. We need to be willing to do that for someone else, too. And, and this, can, you know, this can be simple. It can be something as simple as saying, it was good to see you at, at the service the other day. It was good to see you at prayer meeting or, or church or, uh, or, or to ask a question, how is, your, how is your walk with the Lord? How is your Bible reading going? How can I be praying for you? And not, not that we're a bunch of piety police marching around and interrogating people about their, their spiritual walk with the Lord, but that in love and wisdom, we're, we're encouraging each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is how we guard the faithfulness, not only of ourselves, but of our, of our church. And this doesn't only happen on this more informal level. It should also be happening uh, from the leadership of the church in church discipline. This is an important part of, the, of what the elders are called to do. This is one of the three marks of the church. Without this, it's not a true church. We've got to have church discipline. So, brothers and sisters, let's strive to be a church that guards covenant faithfulness for ourselves and for one another as a, as a body. Let's be vigilant for it, even as we see the Israelites here. Well, there's, there's much to learn here, but let's return to the narrative that's unfolding. If we hadn't read through the, the, through the chapter already and we didn't know the end of the story, we'd still be in suspense because the narrator doesn't let slip any hints yet as to what's going to happen at the end. So let's turn to see covenant faithfulness strengthened. Our final point, verses 21 through 34. The accused tribes 
Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. They respond to this accusation of sin from their brothers with a wonderfully clear confession of faith in the one true God of Israel. They express the strongest commitment to him. They say this in verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. So it's like, they're, it's like they're saying their creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Right? These, they're saying the Lord alone, Yahweh alone, is our God and our Lord. At the same time, they're also calling God to be their witness. They're, they're confessing their faith in Him and they're calling Him to bear witness against them and to, uh, to, to, to require of them the full payment of their sin if indeed they are sinning. And they tell their brothers here that they didn't build this altar for sacrifices. They built it for a memorial. So the, 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 the charge is, you're being unfaithful. Um, but they're, they're saying, no, we're actually endeavoring as carefully, as studiously as possible to be faithful. Uh, they make this, this altar here as a replica of the altar that's in the tabernacle not for sacrifices, but as a reminder to them of the the, the real thing, and uh, to be a witness to their brothers that they too belonged in the covenant, that they were all part of Israel, and they all were uh, part of the covenant with the Lord. How How do the other tribes respond? Well, Phinehas, the high priest, the leaders here, they rejoice, they go, they tell the rest of Israel, Israel rejoices. They came to judge faithlessness, and here they find a wonderful display of great faithfulness, this careful, uh, intentional effort to maintain faithfulness to God's covenant. Notice here that, um, notice here when the people of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh build this altar, um, they don't wait for temptation to come. They don't wait a generation until the memory has started to fade of, of these great events. No, they build it right away when, when their faith is strong, when they're filled with a sense of God's power and presence. They don't wait to, to, to uh, try to strengthen faithfulness when temptations come because then they, they know that at that point it will be too late. They're trying to prepare for that day. Here's the point for us, brothers and sisters. We also, even as... We see the Israelites here. We also must persevere in covenant faithfulness if we want to retain the inheritance that's ours in Christ. That's what the people are called to do, the Israelites here. Maintain faithfulness in order to retain the land. And we also must maintain faithfulness if we are to retain our heavenly inheritance in Christ. And we read this earlier in in Hebrews 10, Verse 36 puts it so clearly. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You've got to be faithful. You've got to maintain that faithfulness so that after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promised inheritance. The danger of sliding into unbelief, sliding into apostasy, that's, that's, the, that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. It's written to warn people from drifting into sin. It's written to stop a church from sliding you know, further and further away from the Lord. That's the way unbelief happens, right? That's the way apostasy 
happens. It's the way people leave the faith. Not overnight, not all at once, but, but, a, a, but, but slowly, you know, step by step, bit by bit, choking off the, the means of grace, neglecting God's Word, neglecting gathering together with the brothers and sisters, neglecting obedience in the details of what God calls us to, giving into sin a little here, a little there, and then suddenly, you know, you've gotten pulled into the wrong current and you're a mile, you're many, many miles away from the Lord. Loved ones, let us not be a church that drifts away. Let us hold fast our faith. Endure in covenant faithfulness to God, following the the wonderful example of the Israelites here. But how is this possible? That's that's what we need to ask as we bring this to a close this evening. How is this how is this possible for the Israelites? What what makes these Israelites so different from the previous generations, and in many ways different from following generations? Is it that these Israelites just saw their parents' sin and their judgment in, in uh, the wilderness and, and they learned their lesson? Are they somehow wiser, more spiritual, more committed? They, they have it together more than their fathers did? What makes the difference between this generation and the other generations of Israel which seem so unfaithful? The answer is in the words that Phinehas, the high priest, says to Uh, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and and Manasseh. In verse 31, he says this, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you've not committed this treachery against the Lord. What makes the difference in this generation? It's that the Lord is among them, they say. That's, That's what Phinehas has to conclude. He sees the fruit of faithfulness and he says, The only explanation is that the Lord is in our midst. He's among us. If if God is not in our midst, unfaithfulness is going to happen. But if God is in our midst, then we will be faithful. We shall certainly, without a doubt, be faithful. We see God in our midst so much more clearly than the Old Testament saints did, right? We see it in Christ. Our Lord Jesus, He is Emmanuel, God with us, God in our midst, according to Matthew 1.23. And this, this is Israel's ancient hope that God would be with them as their God. And, and He's come. Christ has come. He's lived among us. And brothers and sisters, by His Spirit, He's still in our midst, indwelling us. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit that's in the church, the Spirit that's in us. And so this is where our confidence is that we can maintain faithfulness to God's covenant. It's in Christ who gives us the Spirit. This is such a, this is such a sweet assurance. We've seen in our text an example of faithfulness here, but we know this is the exception for Israel. And it's all, all too often the, the exception for us as well. Israel so often looks like a failed project. They're supposed to be God's holy people, but so much of the time they're not. And this is, this is what we see in ourselves and in the history of the church all too often as well, right? That we are called to be God's holy people, but so often we're not. We often compromise the covenant, drift into sin, fail to do what God calls us to do. But God is in our midst. Christ has come, God with us, the true Israel, and He's kept the covenant. He's been faithful. So that's, that's our hope. And, and because of what He did, because of His faithfulness, we can be faithful. 
where we are counted faithful and we're given His Spirit so that we also can be faithful, so that we can be zealous for God's covenant, so that, so that we can hold one another accountable lovingly, wisely, appropriately, so that we can pray for each other, submit to church discipline, count one another's property, right? So, so, that, so that we can be faithful over the long haul together as a church. It's just as Phinehas says here, it's only because of God in our midst. It's because the Spirit of the risen Christ is in our midst. So let's seek Him together, brothers and sisters, and let's, by His grace, persevere in covenant faithfulness. Let's pray.